Yo, what is up? You have found I like the Blazers. Sorry, you have found we like the Blazers. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Goldner, and with me is your other better host. It's Ryan Whitledge. Ryan, what's up, man? What's up? We finally made it. What Facebook official, Twitter official? I mean, we've danced around this. We've we've been flirting each, with each other at the bar, making googly eyes for a while. There's been a couple conversations, and now here we are. Both your wife and my girlfriend are are very upset right now. Yeah, I think Twitter official because we're both pretty active on Twitter. Um, yeah, podcasts are way more fun with more than one person. And uh, so for this 25th episode, we have changed the name of the podcast. We've added somebody who is really good at this stuff uh, and who wanted to waste time with me every week. So, yeah, I'm stoked about it. Um, you know, just one more excuse to spend less time with my family. Perfectly fine. Yeah, I, my, my wife is elated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also proud of us. Uh, I'm usually a little bit late, so maybe just proud of me for getting going more or less on time. You, I mean, we were just talking about it. I have so much crap up on my screen right now. So if my computer explodes and it doesn't work, then it's not because of you. It's me. Um, but with that, with this new name of the podcast, uh, I just wanted to talk really quick about why we like the Blazers. Like the whole premise of this show when I first started it was to make pretty clear that I was not a professional journalist. There are people who have been doing that for a long time and are much better at it than me. I am not a coach. Same thing. People who are better at doing that and that's not me. But I like the Blazers that have been like, you know, in the periphery of the Blazers for a long time. So I wanted to ask you pretty simply, like, what is it that you like about this team and, and why why do you follow them? Like what, what got you into it and why are you still why are you still a Blazers fan? Well, I'm a big fan of pain and suffering and despair. No. <laughs> no, uh, I grew up... Uh, hey, yeah, masochism <laughs> is definitely a streak in Blazers fandom, so yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. No, I grew up, I was an only child of a single mom. Um, she wasn't very much into watching sports. I always wanted to play sports. Uh, basketball, soccer, and track were the only ones she would ever let me play. I never got to play football because, oh, I don't want my little boy broken. By the way, this... soccer, soccer, easily the most violent sport I have ever played. <laughs> oh, yeah, soccer can be rough. And it was the same thing for me, too. My mom wouldn't let me play football, so I feel you on that. Yeah, yeah, I broke uh, I broke an arm twice and a, uh, and a leg once playing soccer, so... Uh, I feel as though let me play a similar sport, <laughs> but give me pads and I would have been better. But uh, anyways, so I, I never really watched a lot of sports growing up. They weren't on in my house. And it wasn't until I want to say I was about nine or 10 years old that my mom enrolled me in the uh, Big Brothers program. And I ended up hitting literally the lottery with my big brother. I'm not going to name drop the market, but it is a very, very prominent, popular market. And he ended up starting it. And so he had money. His house was in a little gated community. And that was, he brought me to one of the very first Blazer games I've ever been to. Uh, I want to say that was the 96, 97 season. PJ Carlismo's last year. Um, yep. I think uh, Clyde had just got traded in, in that season. And so my very first Blazer game I ever went to were center court feet on the floor <laughs> seats and that Not was actually <laughs> I think outside of maybe like one Portland Beavers game for baseball that was like the first sporting event I had ever been to and I was just hooked seeing these massive human beings just running across the court and from then on I think I, we maybe went to 10 or 12 games that season and I, I just as that being my first indoctrination into professional sports that that stuck with me and um 
you know, as life went on, I eventually deep dove further into other sports. I'm a massive football fan, kind of passive baseball fan. I would say it depends on if the Mariners are doing good, but basically I'm a passive baseball fan. <laughs> um, but the Blazers have always just stuck with me as that being my, my first first feel of right. an arena and in a sport and and rush of emotion and all that and as i've gotten older and 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 studied the game more and watched the game more now i'm i'm just a fanatic who happens to be allowed to have a microphone in front of them and be a fanatic and that other people listen to so that that's my biggest thing is it, it was and especially too with being an only child like Instead of like going out and, you know, playing with a sibling or whatnot, if my friends were busy, it was always easy to just pop on a Blazer game, you know, and the old Blazer TV that I was finally able to convince my mom to, <laughs> you know, have a boyfriend hook up a black box to. <laughs> yeah, the you said a couple things that definitely resonate with me, too. The, the first one is like the experience of being there. And just how big the players are when you're when you get down to the court. Like whenever I go to a game, I try to like make it down to the floor while they're warming up, just because you're like the scale of how big these players mm -hmm. are and how they move is just like it doesn't translate to the TV the same way as it does when you're there. And I I never got to go to a game when I was a, a little kid. We lived in Corvallis. We just weren't weren't able to do it. And but. I remember the first time I did go to a game, I felt the same way. They played an exhibition game at Gill Coliseum in Corvallis in yeah. 98, no, it was 99, I think. Um, and I remember that game really, really distinctly, particularly after the game, uh, we were all kind of waiting for autographs and they're all getting on the bus. And the only player, I've told the story before, the only player who stopped and gave an autograph to everybody waiting while people on the bus were like yelling for him to get on was Brian Grant. Which shouldn't surprise anybody because Brian Grant no. is a solid human being. I mean, not to say the other people aren't. It's just, I mean, they want nope, to go. Nope, they're all assholes. You just said it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, my end of the Blazers was when I was a little kid. It was like basketball cards. My brothers collected them. I started collecting them. I started playing basketball. I watched the Blazers on TV. And you said something else, too, about, like, you know, you were an only child. I, I had two brothers. One brother is much older than me. The other one is a couple years older. And we weren't, like, super, super close. Um, and frankly, like, this may not shock anybody. I wasn't the most socially fluent kid, a uh, little socially awkward, didn't have a ton of friends until I was a little bit older. But something about basketball, I've heard people talk about this. You can pick up a basketball and just go to a hoop and just shoot, right? Like it's not, yep. it's a little harder with football or, or soccer, particularly baseball. You need other people to play and basketball was something for me. It was like an emotional escape. It was a way to like decompress and de-stress. Um, and then as I got older, I had friends, you know, when I was like in my teens and, and early twenties, we'd watch blazer games, hang out, smoke weed and just like kick it and like maybe play basketball before or after the game. Um, and then now, like, as I'm now in my 30s, I definitely have found, like, the, the Twitter community of Blazers fans has been so much fun for me. Like, I've gotten, like you said, like, it's weird to talk in front of a microphone, but I've gotten to work with different Blazers sites and different people and gotten to write about them and have people say, you know, 
when I'm talking out of my ass or when I, when I think mm-hmm. I got something right. And it's just a lot of fun. Like, I think that that to me now, the reason why I'm so invested in it is because of the people around it and people like you, frankly, who make this stuff fun for me. And so that's why I'm into it. Yeah. So I was going to say, I mean, like the sense of community that you're talking about. I mean, think about it. Like, I mean, the other podcast that, that I'm a part of, which I've decided to not cross promote, but the other podcast, oh, no, cr- cross promote it. No, oh, please do. no, no. <laughs> the other podcast that I'm a part of, like, without me me and my friends starting that uh i wouldn't know you outside of a few articles that i've seen you write on blazer's edge and you know having listened to a podcast but this is kind of something like hey over the course of three and a half years i went from hey i recognize some of that guy's stories to hey i've chatted with him a little bit on twitter to now now i'm texting you going hey are you going to be late this morning <laughs> <laughs> yeah and we're doing this so i That's mean yeah that, there is progress yeah there is that you know that sense of community and whatnot and granted this year blazers twitter has been massively you know divisive a little bit sometimes especially toxic i mean when you're talking about you know team team personnel getting threats about you know uh stuff but for the most part the the online community of blazer fandom has always been a very positive and uplifting thing you know which is awesome especially seeing as all the doldrums that this team has gone through throughout its respective eras yeah, for sure. And I know that we said we were going to try to keep this episode snappy. And so here I'm, I'm going to go off on one quick tangent, which is about that that part about the community where people disagree. I'll admit that like this year has been challenging for me in a way that it hasn't been before in challenging my thinking about stuff, particularly with, with Coach Stotts and how good of a coach I think he is. <clears throat> There's a group called Blazers Uprise with uh, Tory Jones and Eric Brandt that love have been eric love eric he is a great guy you ever get a chance to hop on and play some call of duty Warzone with him he's a fantastic <laughs> thing they, they are both great dudes and they're really really good at what they do and here's the thing is that they disagree with me very strongly about how to evaluate coach stots and you know how good of a coach he is at the end of the day over the year my opinion about coach stots has changed in large part because of the work those two do and their analysis of it it has gotten me to think about how to evaluate stuff differently to weigh stuff differently and maybe even to take different things into consideration that i hadn't before and look i'll be completely honest like this whole thing about negative blazers twitter sometimes i am a part of that like and so call me a hypocrite i think that's totally fair i'm not above being sarcastic or snippy or even maybe sometimes being an ass and i'm not saying that's good it's just something that does end up happening i'm not going to shy away from it and we've had these disagreements but like that has been valuable for me because it's challenged my thinking right and it's like gotten me to think differently about the team that's interesting to me like i appreciate especially i think as i get older maybe if i if i were like in my early 20s if twitter had existed when i was like 19 i think i would be in deep shit like thank I don't, god thank god you know, our like, generation only only had to deal with myspace and trying to figure out how to import our favorite playlist into our right. page yeah you're on limewire trying to get music you're on kazam trying to get an episode of of the simpsons or something but like seriously yep. like i <clears throat> i think it's only been like and i i am so far from perfect i'm never going to be perfect i'm wrong about a lot of stuff i'm going to end up being being wrong about a lot of stuff i value getting to like the the 
the pursuit of of truth or or the not maybe not of truth but the pursuit of like what's the best way to think about this and hopefully your opinion changes as you're learning stuff and as you're being challenged and that's something i really value about the blazers online community even when we're disagreeing so i just wanted to bring that point up um you know and it's a good little microcosm too of like it today's society for lack of better term needs a little more or a little less confirmation bias with a lot of their thinking and so like as you said it um with tori and eric and the things that they've done on blazers uprise and the coverage that they've had that's forced you to rethink uh facts and perspectives and 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 thought patterns that you previously had you know i uh, i found myself hating on stots a lot near the beginning of the season um and so i kind of went the opposite way of like reaching out um you know to people like henry abbott or other people connected throughout the league and doing having chats with them interviews with them to find out what their opinion on, is on it you know somebody who's not necessarily a passionate blazers fan where i'm not having that um, that emotional up and down of like come on stots what the fuck are you doing play nasir little over yeah. you know carmelo anthony and or just stupid stuff like that where that's actually allowed me to kind of have a more nuanced perspective of of understanding that there's not just one overall factor that's affecting things this year and the overall team's performance, that it's a, a major confluence of things where this is just literally a perfect storm of stuff. And while also understanding that uh, not everybody's Greg Popovich and is going to coach the same team for 25 years. Yeah, so. it's I mean, in that in that, uh, to think about it that way, how long a coach has been there. I mean, Stotts has been there for nine years, right? So it's been a long time. You also said one more thing. I, I know we're trying to get to the next section, but it's like one last thing. Which hey, you're is, the one. Who, you're the one who put a clock on this. I know. Bud. I don't have a birthday party to go to until one thirty. I think that there's uh, <laughs> there's some stuff we could probably snip at the end and, and keep. I, I want to talk maybe next week more about like end of season stuff and blah blah blah. The the, the Olshay versus Stotts thing can probably wait. But I, what you said about you know asking Henry Abbott or other people. Like, I think it's important when you have a, a when you're trying to evaluate the Blazers, whether it's the players or the coach or the GM, to get a perspective of what are the other 29 teams doing, right? Like that's super super yeah. important. To your point, asking people who cover the NBA, they may not know the intricacies of the Blazers as much, but they're going to be able to contrast what the Blazers are doing with what other teams are doing, and ultimately, that's the only test of when we say someone is quote good or quote bad. We don't mean in the context of in the entire world, are they a good coach or bad coach? All NBA coaches are incredible coaches in the universe of coaches. We're literally just talking about the 30 teams of the NBA. Yeah. And it's so important, I think, then to get perspective from people who do have a national view of this stuff, because again, they can contrast, they have the context to put that in. And to that point, Like, I've been pretty deliberate about asking people, like, one of my favorite podcasts is the Dunked On podcast with Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue. I think they have always done a really, really good job, have done their homework, both both to watch the games and to do the statistical analysis and the cap stuff, of course, Mm -hmm. so that they're able to put the Blazers in context with other teams. And actually, I'm hoping, I think that we can probably get Nate on the pod at some point, um, maybe when he's a little bit less busy and it'd be fun to talk to him (laughs) about this specifically. But yeah, putting it in context of the national discussion, I think, is important important yeah i mean like look back uh, we'll we'll get here we'll uh last a little bit on this before we hop over to the next little section but and i mean just one it, more thing after no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. yeah just this podcast let's just title the episode is just it is and just one just one ends. yeah totally just one more thing here <laughs> no but i mean when like you were saying and like i was saying you know if you look at the context from the league right now 
I mean, almost everybody in Blazers lands knows that outside of us having a parade um, at the end of the season, that Stotts is gone next year. And I'm not even entirely sure if that that will fully save his job. But that you also contrast this with like anybody in Portland, any Blazer fan probably would more than willing to uh, happily accept Steve Kerr as as a next head coach while the Warriors fans are all trying to run his ass out of town for being a deadbeat coach. Right. So again, it's, it's fanatics perspective and expectations for the team versus the, uh, what like the national view and the league wide view is, and that you're going to find a truth somewhere in the middle, just as with everything else. Yeah. And I, there's more that we can get to in that. And you just brought up 10 more thoughts for me, but I'm going to just put a, put a cap on those because we do need to yeah, exactly. We'll we'll do it next time. But so let's talk about the Blazers. The name of the podcast is We Like the Blazers. After all, so let's talk about them. They're on a three-game winning streak, and Yay! it's it's pretty cool. It's not even just a three-game winning streak. It's like they've all been against progressively more difficult teams, playoff of, caliber teams. Yep. Right. Yeah. Like well, the the one against the Pacers, not at all but 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 get getting Don't. hard <laughs> getting harder as you go up right like um and they've all been by like 20 points ish i mean they were blowing out the pacers by like you know 40 before the you know the third string kind of let the the pacers back into it um i'm just curious in these last 3 games because remember that before those 3 games the blazers were not were not doing so well Mm-mm. what is it about these last 3 games that has made you feel encouraged has there been anything that's like popped to you and and, and particularly uh i want to tie this back to if you're seeing something good do you think that it does it make you more hopeful that the blazers can actually do something in the playoffs. So so what have you seen for these last three games and does it make you hopeful? What's been popping for you? Couple things, but the number one biggest thing that I've seen over these last three games uh, that I think will have the carry the most weight for the rest of the season and whatever they possibly do in the playoffs, if anything, uh, they actually give a fuck, which uh, I think yeah. is rather important when you're playing a competitive sports Kinda game. Kind of matters. Yeah, you know, when they were on that six game losing streak and even throughout most of the rest of the season prior uh when they got down big all fight was gone out of them um and just looking back at this month of april i mean even if even if the rest of the team is is losing fight or losing hope or losing confidence and you see that like poor piss poor body language uh dame was at least there to carry him which is why we saw such a great clutch record for the blazers uh, to start the season but for the month of april with him going through his health stuff his his various nagging injuries i mean him even saying that this is the worst he's worst year he's had physically in his career um and it shows i mean we can all see that i and I, and, I had been and, calling uh, for him to get multiple games of rest, like before that. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. You literally have to have multiple front office staff members handcuff him, lock him in the hotel room, and put three bodyguards on the door to keep him out of a game. I don't I, care if you want to call that organizational I, malfeasance. That's just how he is. And I you totally gotta agree. At least like, respect the level of competitor that he is in that regard. No, you totally do. And I think we've seen in Dame's career, he's been one of the most durable players in the NBA. He's played a super heavy minutes load. And he's been there the entire time. I, but I hope that maybe this season in particular has gotten him to see the virtue and the value of rest. Because, again, my thought is if it were 
and like you know i'm right about everything ryan i'm never wrong right so when i was calling no. for dame to be resting before that massive slide happened maybe if he had just rested some of those injuries maybe there would be fewer you know compensatory injuries like maybe if he's not trying to hold his ribs over here then maybe he wouldn't have tweaked his ankle over here i don't know but but i hope that maybe this stretch has made dame see the value of rest and i i interrupted I, you but i just wanted to get that point in there i don't i don't i don't think it has because every really? every lesson such as that that the players that you would expect players to learn this season are completely thrown out the window by how different this season is from a normal nba season when you take into account that they're getting tested four different or four times daily you know they're 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 Waking up at 7 a.m. On a, on a game morning when they normally wouldn't be heading into the practice facility to get a test. Uh, their normal nap time, they're not necessarily getting that. And we've all, re- <laughs> yeah, which it sounds so weird when you're talking about grown men and the importance of naps, but. When you're pushing like, yourself that hard, you need yeah. to recover. Napping and, is part of that. Yeah. You know, and it's long, it's, it's long storied and studies and whatnot on the importance of rest for players and, and that they're all creatures of habit. And this season it just completely thrown most of their regular rest schedule and their regular habits completely out the window with extra testing protocols and, and questionable tests that then have to be redone and all that. And so, yes, I agree that Dame should look at this as I need to rest more so I'm not expending as much energy. But there is also the part of the time that he naturally has to rest is already massively impacted in and of itself. That's true. So so like even if he's taking these games off, he's still having to get up at those same times, going for that testing schedules and all that stuff. So he's not getting that same leeway. The other thing is that he had to I mean, during that torrid stretch that he was on when he vaulted himself up into, you know, top three in MVP conversation, he I don't think he should have expent that much energy just to try to keep the team afloat. I mean, I think the projected metrics were that at the All-Star break, uh, if you go back and look at the stats and compare it, it worked out to where the Blazers were six and a half to seven and a half games ahead of what their projected win should be. I mean, how much worse off for where are we now? I mean, maybe we're in like the eighth eighth spot or, or ninth spot or whatnot, trying to I, fight a little bit out of that plan. But if he would have had more of that energy now versus then, would that have benefited the team? That's I, just my actually, thoughts on well, that. Well, I have an answer for you because you said like, you know, six and a half, seven games ahead of where they're expected to be. They're exactly seven games ahead of the Pelicans right now for 11th, which would be out of the plan. So it, you could argue that Dame doing that, you know, while CJ was out, while Nurkic is out, gave them enough to stay in the mix that they could withstand a, a bad stretch like they just withstood, right? Like, I, I don't disagree with you. And again, like I was saying, I think Dame should have been mm-hmm. resting. So maybe not for all of those seven wins that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise gotten. Um, I, I also, I also feel like, to your point, Dame is just such an insane competitor. He, you know... I would prefer if the front office, if the coaching staff of his teammates did just 
physically hold him back from playing mm -hmm. rather than, you know, risk him getting these nagging injuries, which then affect his play, probably affect his mood too. Like it's, I mean, we all know, like if you, if you stub your toe, it's difficult to like go up the stairs or like imagine being a professional athlete, you tweak your ankle and now you're being expected to cut, start, stop, pull up from the logo, like take, yep. like, I don't, it's just very, well, very tough. Well, that, and besides all the extra testing schedules, the man just, he's got what, three month old twins yeah i mean exactly. hell maybe maybe that's half the reason why the blazers have a better road record than a home record is because you know dame can actually get a full night's sleep when he's on the road parenting is very <laughs> difficult as as you know and i i yes. do not i do not know um is there anything else about this three game stretch that has popped for you or made you feel encouraged i mean i have a couple things on to make sure that that you get your uh, two, your better two, opinions in here. <laughs> two of two of them tie in together. Uh, the Bosnian beast is back. Uh, I I He's think back. I I do have to make one caveat here. I think it's fantastic that Lamar Hurd and Jordan Kent have danced around the topic of Nurk fever as much as humanly possible without actually saying those words while we're in a pandemic. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That, that joke is just that. completely off the table. But with Nurk being Nurk being back, and, and by Nurk being back, I don't mean Nurk is physically present. Because Nurk was back and physically present on the court at the beginning of the season. You could tell he was out of shape. You could tell he just wasn't mentally checked in from all his family stuff, lack of, or lack of you know training camp, all that stuff affecting him. Um, and even when he first came back from the injury, then he was um, trying to play himself back into shape he's he's into shape now and so he is back to the form in which we all expected him to be and with that comes being able to be a pivot point for the offense and being an anchor for the defense because I don't care I know a lot of people criticize Stotts for why does why is there this drop scheme coverage and I don't give a flying crap about Nurk's quote of going rogue because that was the most taken out of context quote I've ever seen in my life <laughs> about about defense but um Cantor just doesn't have the physical ability to stay with a guy so the only coverage you can run with him is drop coverage and but so Nurk is this pivot point for the offense he's an anchor for the defense he does have speed and vertical verticality uh he's good with his lateral movements all of that is massively impacting the team and if you go back and look through their last 19 games I mean since this starting lineup of Powell and Nurk has has fully solidified uh the Blazers are 19th in defensive rating and I think 8th overall in in net rating massive improvements from what they had been the previous you know 51 games of the year you know, it was funny. The yeah, no, for sure. It was funny. Um, <laughs> for a couple, couple quick things on Nurk. So I totally agree with you. Um, you know, I putting Nurk in space <clears throat> probably isn't the, the best idea. He's not the most fleet of foot. Like Nurk is an elite rim protector when he's at his best, and he hasn't even really shown that. That's maybe the last piece that's going to come back. It, that's you know, but. Uh, Putting him in space, not a great idea. I, I know that Kyrie Irving is one of the fastest guards in the league, and so maybe this isn't fair, but Nurk got absolutely cooked yesterday when he I'm was not, out in space. I'm not, I'm not holding that against him. That's well, I, Kyrie. I'm not either, but my point is, like, it's it, the... Um, if Mike Jones would have done that to him, we got questions. I'm just saying <laughs> that, like, I, I'm not expecting Nurkic to be able to contain people out in the perimeter or even in the mid-range the same way that somebody like Rudy Gobert can. Rudy Gobert is a special defensive player. Part of the reason why he's a perennial defense, defensive player of the 
years because mm-hmm. of his mobility um, and not just his length. But it, so so that's that's one thing. I'm not saying that you can't mix up your defense some more. Of course you can. The other thing about Nurkic, just an anecdotal thing, again, watching yesterday, and you kind of mentioned it, but he's not laboring. He's not, he doesn't, like you said, he doesn't look tired. There was a point where he had ended his shift and he was checking out of the game. And this seems like such a small thing. And maybe my pea brain just latched onto it and it doesn't really mean anything, Mm -hmm. but the camera zoomed into Nurkic as he was coming off the court and his body language coming off the court, giving people high fives, his head was up and pivoting. Like it was all jovial. He wasn't hanging his shoulders and and looking like he just ran five miles. Exactly. And I think that that really, really matters. And to that point, the last, Last five games, these are his stats, 18.2 points, 13.2 boards, 58% shooting over the last five games. That, if you get that, and that's like not even to mention like the three dimes he's getting. And Mm -hmm. if that is the version of Nurkic this Blazers team is going to get moving forward, then that makes me feel very, very hopeful, like even more than the box score, the Blazers won by X many points. Mm-hmm. The thing I've been most encouraged by has been the play of Yusuf Nurkic, because if Yusuf Nurkic is not playing that way or close to it, the Blazers just can't be their best. You said yeah. it. It's not just the offense. It's, it's the defense, too. Yeah, I've I've long argued that Yusuf Nurkic is the second best player on the team, and I get a lot of blowback for that because everyone's like, oh, you're just disrespecting CJ and, and all that. No, CJ is the second best statistical player on the team but how I, how I like to rank this is if if this guy goes down how fucked are we if dame goes down we're done yep we saw it we've seen it especially this year if nurk goes down or and the previous year if nurk goes down there are band-aids you can put in place and dame the combo of dame and cj buoys it but again this is a completely different nobody team. can replace what nurk does <laughs> yes this is a completely different team with a healthy available and fully functioning nurk and probably you know coming up i think next year's the last year in his contract one of the biggest he's going to be one of the biggest pieces that the team has to look at moving forward on we understand his importance but his availability hasn't been there and are we willing to invest in him if he can't be there for us as much as we need him to be yeah i mean if you're gonna get him at the price by the way like you know this goes back to the stats versus olshay i'm critical of neil olshay's entire tenure however i think olshay's done a really good job this last offseason and olshay did a great job on that nerd contract that's one of the best contracts in the league like he seriously yeah and and when when he's healthy healthy. yeah nerd played his way into that because nerd was literally like a peripheral (laughs) throwaway piece and he fucking balled out. We got Bosnian Beast. We got the freaking theme song. He got. He ended up taking over the freaking <laughs> the uh, the what the Portland coffee commercials for uh, Stump Town from Shabazz Napier. You know, he's he's everything you can hope for. But yes, his availability is the biggest thing. But he's also what has changed the dynamic of this team, uh, even more so than Norman Powell, who has had his impact and I think is starting to kind of fit into his role. Uh, one of the biggest things to pivot away from Nurk for, um, wait, I know, had one more thing though. I, what, okay. Okay. One, one more right. thing on Nurk, And then, uh, you then mentioned, you mentioned how fucked the Blazers would be if X player went down. 
And you didn't mention CJ McCollum, and I wanted to bring up that I agree with you that with CJ, he's an elite scorer. He's incredible. If CJ were to go down, you could see someone like Anthony Simons slide into part of that role, right? You could give, you could shuffle you could- your rotations and have Norman Powell play part of that role there's nobody that can replace dame there's nobody that can replace nurk and i think that your point is really well taken on that and again no you know shade to cj it's just that the blazers as constructed can withstand cj not being there better than dame or nurk not being there yeah exactly and so like on the powell Powell front uh powell it's he was in a weird spot for the first couple games that he got here because um you know he's playing with dame he's playing with cj i do think that as long as portland has that backcourt it is going to be a detriment to getting some good free agents in because that's 40 ish 50 ish shots right there that are being taken up in the offense elite players these all-star level players that you know we've just been dying to get next to dame in portland they want their shots i mean there's very few players as we said earlier that are like the rudy gobert type where they're happy getting mm, five to ten shots a night and they're hanging their hat on the defensive end or like draymond green that that's a very slim group so when you're when you're looking at coming to a team and you're like I am literally going to take a drop-off in offensive production. Eh. And we saw that with Norm, because especially this year in Toronto, he was a very high-usage player, high-level scorer, and it took him a while to figure out his place. And you're starting to see it now. Um, I mean, like with Derek Jones Jr., when he came in, we were all like, oh my gosh, this guy's a great cutter. He can do these baseline cuts. We'll see these backdoor passes and these lobs. That's I know Stotts runs a free-flowing system, but that's not how anybody else in the Blazers play. Norman Powell has put that hat on himself, and He's getting parked in the corner, but he's not doing what Anthony Simons does or what Carmelo Anthony does and just taking that pull-up shot and living or dying with it. Norman Powell will take that shot if it's open. It's a great shot. He's one of the best three-point corner shooters in the league, but he's also got that speed and athleticism to cut and break guys down off the dribble, make that baseline cut himself, and in that, do something that CJ is unable to do and get to the foul line. CJ, for a shooting guard, is has hit historically in the NBA, the lowest free throw shooting rate of any shooting guard well, look in the at, league. Look at CJ's game. It's he's so crafty. I mean, did you like that left-handed insane off foot floater, right? Like nobody can make that shot, but CJ and, and the, but he fades away from contact and he fades away from contact. He's a great mid range shooter. The alternative to CJ doing again an impossible contortion that very few NBA players can do is to just, you know, go in and get fouled. CJ, like you said, avoids contact, but that's partly because his bag is his incredibly diverse mid-range game. And also you said about Norman Powell, I agree. I've been super encouraged by how much Powell can really collapse the opposing defense and suck everybody toward him. I think what I'd like to see in the next 10 games or whatever in the regular season is whether Powell can then it, when he, you know, as you get to learn your teammates better, you get to learn the offense better. You know where mm-hmm. people are. So tendencies, yeah, tendencies. So he's sucking in that defense and knowing where to kick out. That would be super interesting to me. And then the ball can ping, ping, ping around to the open person. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Is there anything else kind of from this three game streak that jumps out at you before we bounce to the next section? Mm, not. I mean, again, it's it kind of leans. 
I, I think you can I say no. Out. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think I hit it. I'm just I'm just going through the checklist in my head. But it's you know anything that I want to say that I've seen all ties back into the topics we've just covered. You know the defense, the giving a fuck about things. You know uh, different players fully figuring out roles and how to utilize their their time on the court. Uh, I mean, other than the fact that Anthony Simons is suddenly now a lights out scorer, I really got nothing. Yeah. I, um... Seeing Anthony Simons really step into his confidence. I mean, it's something that people have written about. That I saw written about months ago, I think. And now we're kind of seeing how that confidence can lead to results. I agree. That's that's really good to see. But I'd still rather have Aaron Gordon and Damian O'Neal O'Shea. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation. All right. Uh, let's here take a quick segment break, and then we will be right back to kind of look at the Blazers' upcoming schedule as it stands and how we feel about it. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. All right, guys, and we're back. So the Blazers were in the final, well, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine games left, I believe, in the season. Yes. Um, there's a couple gimmies. There's a couple questionable ones. Um, when you were making the notes and I was looking through this, you just went up straight Mike Francesa yourself, and you're like, win, 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 loss, win, Wait, win. Wait, that was, that was a absolute best case. That that, that was a uh, thought exercise yeah. as to what, yeah, that was not and, what I expected to happen. And so my edits to this were I had to go through and be like, all right, for some context here, here's you when we're on. You had to go through. Nobody I asked did. you. <laughs> Dude, we're cut from the same cloth. Our OCD would not allow us to not. If I had put out the same thing, you would have done the same damn thing. But so obviously, I'm just going to ask you this right off the bat. So the, the only loss, theoretically, that you have pegged for the Blazers in this last little stretch is the Los Angeles Lakers game on Friday, May 7th. You assume that Utah, Phoenix, and Denver all at the end of season are going to be resting, not going to be jockeying for any sort of playoff positioning Again, or any not, opponents. Not, not that I think they will be resting, but if the chips fall perfectly, that they could all potentially be resting, yes. Yeah, and you know Utah just lost the top spot as of last night with Phoenix winning. Phoenix overtook it, so I think they're now uh, half a game. So it kind of depends on how those guys, they can can see that's the one weird thing is I don't know if they'll be they'll probably be resting because it it's harder to hunt your opponent you're not like for right. the first and second seed you're literally looking at it as this is the group of four that I could be playing as opposed to going do I want to play this team or this team should I drop should I stay what um the one thing that I want to say about my I actually think that the one game that is the most in danger for the Blazers of losing is the Cleveland game that is, uh, Cleveland's coming off the second night of a back-to-back. They play in Phoenix on the fourth. Blazers are on the road, obviously, so everybody's traveling. Uh, but the Cleveland game just strikes me as a trap game. The Lakers game, granted there's no travel, but they're playing the Clippers on a TNT Thursday night doubleheader. You're, if you're going to get, like, not LeBron resting or not Anthony Davis resting or not both of them resting or or whatever. Uh, that's going to be when they play the Clippers on national television. Not so, when they not when they play an NBA showcase game on NBA TV versus the Blazers. I, I want to ask you, really, I'm going to pick at your comment about the Cleveland potentially being a trap game. Part of this thought exercise for me was, again, best case scenario, like, I couldn't, I, I really wanted to, think through how they could go undefeated. And I just 
my brain wouldn't allow it. And so I had to put a loss in there. That one made the most sense to me. But in this best case scenario, and even in a not best case scenario, I am starting to assume that this urgency that the Blazers are playing with will continue for the foreseeable future, which is incredibly important. And if that were true, right, like Dame making the comment about we can't be embarrassed to be a little bit desperate, right, like and just seeing how they have been playing. I yeah. don't I think that the threat of any trap game is a little bit less because part of a trap game is a mentality thing, right? It is a oh this team is crap, they're on a back to back, whatever. We it's look past Cleveland. It's I, fucking Cleveland. If there's ever a trap game left on this schedule, it is against one of the worst. You think teams Kevin in the Love is gonna rise out of Lake Oswego itself and just come dominate the Blazers? Like what do you think? <laughs> if it's the one game that Kevin Love finally decides to give a crap and he's not, you know, doing his freaking inbounds passes that we've seen that all went viral, yeah, it's possible. It's Cleveland. Because after the Blazers got their. Ass I mean, they're gonna, they're gonna have Anderson Verishow, which, by the way, like oh, I think that thirty-eight actually, years old. They know they don't have to actually <laughs> sign him to do the retirement hoopla during the season, right? I, you think they so? Can, Does that help the Blazers' salary cap situation because Verishow is still on the books? If he comes back and plays no, for a team, does no, that provide any no, relief? I don't know. No, no. Okay, all right. So, what Cleveland make the case for it? Sorry, I'm interrupting, but like they're. I just, Okay, the case for it is we all saw the Blazers play one Minnesota Timberwolves team earlier in the season. Uh, A Timberwolves team that just swept the Utah Jazz, by the way. Okay. Just saying. If the Blazers give a fucktitude meter remains high, I'm just saying there's a possibility that they could overlook Cleveland. I don't know. Maybe Kevin Love and CJ McCollum sneak away in the middle of the night and go drink a bunch of wine. Whatever. I'm just saying (laughs) the game I worry most about on this schedule is the Cleveland game because if I've learned anything this season, there is no win that is 100% safe. That's true. And and NBA teams are NBA teams. They're very talented. Like I just said, the Timberwolves have had a terrible season. They just literally swept the Utah Jazz, the best team in the NBA, or, or like I think you said earlier, the, the Suns. Suns, Suns have taken that mantle. But close, close enough. Okay, fine. Uh, I don't think the Blazers are going to lose only one more game this season. It was just, I was thinking through, you know, oh, if teams are resting, an absolute best case scenario. Um, but let me let me just quickly put this into context, and I, I want to talk maybe next week more about how whatever the remaining games are might play into mm-hmm. seeding and, and all that stuff. But the Blazers right now, despite Despite going on that awful stretch, and, and now that they've won three in a row, they're just one game behind the Lakers for fifth. They're just a half game behind the Mavericks for sixth, right? And so the way mm-hmm. I see the West right now is, is like this. The Suns, Jazz, Clippers, Nuggets, they're untouchable, I think, because the Nuggets in the fourth seed are seven games ahead. Doesn't matter what's going to happen, even though it's mathematically possible, Blazers yeah. aren't going to get there. That's untouchable. Okay, so they're a game behind the Lakers for fifth. They're a half okay. game behind the Mavs for sixth. That puts the Blazers in seventh. Mm-hmm. They're two and a half games ahead of Memphis for eighth. They're three and a half games in front of San Antonio for ninth. And they're four games ahead of the Warriors for 10th. And then on the same side, uh, the other side of the same coin, 11th seed, I think is untouchable because the Blazers are seven games ahead of the Pelicans. So well, mathematically possible, but mathematically possible, probably not going to happen. So all of this is just to say that where the Blazers have put themselves is firmly 
at the middle bottom of the playoff race. Remember this year, we have a play-in tournament. The only six teams guaranteed to get into the playoffs are the top six, seven, eight, nine, and 10 all have to fight for it. So um, top the Blazers... Six. Top six gets you basically an extra full week off that you don't have to play basketball if you want Dame to rest. And that's why Dame said his number one thing was, I'm not going to rest until we lock in the sixth seed, which that's cute, Dame, if that's how you want to think about things. And sorry, New York Knicks fans, not going to happen, but I'm still going to make the joke. Go to the Eastern Conference where you can lock up a seed halfway through the season. It's not happening in the West. Well, and to that (laughs) that point about rest and Dame's health, I um, was able to join as a a call-in guest to Mike Richmond Locked on Blazers podcast. He had Jamie Hudson of NBC Sports Northwest on that show. And the question I asked of them was, what do you two need to see from the Blazers to maybe make you think that they possibly have a chance to contend? And by contend, I meant like a deep second round push or Western Conference Finals push. They both said it's health. And Jamie Hudson in particular, she was like, look, I, I got to be honest. I thought at this point in the season, Dame was already going to be resting. And they're, he's not because they can't afford it because of where they are in the playoff race. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I think that health is obviously super ultra important. I do want to talk more moving forward in the next episode about really digging into like the playoff seating and stuff. But but I wanted to make one more comment because I say a lot of stuff on Twitter, Ryan. I say so many things. You are an ass on that. I am. I am. I am absolutely a toxic follow. Do not follow me at Golden PDX and definitely do not follow at We Like the Blazers. Oh, no, no. It's just. Oh, so Twitter had a had a character limit. uh, Yeah. I was off by one character, so I couldn't get we like the Blazers, so it's at like the Blazers. We are demanding that you like the Blazers. Um, What I have said on Twitter is that I am not confident that the Blazers can make a deep playoff push. Mm -hmm. Even after these last three games... I'm starting to wobble. I'm starting to maybe believe. Oh, they've suckered you back in. I'm not there yet, though. That's how, and So I wanted to say that despite how well they played the last three games, I am not there. I, I still do not think the Blazers can make a deep playoff push. Having said yeah. that, if you were to ask me how the last three games would have to go in order to get me to maybe consider that again, this is exactly how those games have gone. They, so I feel, you know, I, I feel as though you're not you're not drinking the Kool Aid, but you're definitely swirling the glass and sensing the oaky <laughs> notes before you take a sip. The powder is <laughs> dissolving in the glass. It's yeah. clinking against the ice. Um, I don't know. I I can't stand the number of times that we have had that just Blazers fandom in general, Blazers Blazers media coverage, all that have had to have the discussion of are the Blazers finally turning a corner? Here's what I'm going to say on that. The Blazers are turning the corner in the sense of that they're in a fucking circle. So they are always going to be turning a corner. <laughs> that is how this season That's has gone. Harsh, there, there is no 90 degree <laughs> turns in here. We are always turning the corner because we are stuck in a circle. It's a NASCAR track. Where, where, this, where they end on this circle is again, completely Completely predicated on their level of give a fucktitude. So maybe they just they they ease off the gas, and so they're just taking this particular corner all the way through the playoffs. That'd be great. Yeah, that I mean, sure, but again, I'm saying there's no corner that they've turned because That's, they've been turning one all season. That is an incredible analogy, and it makes me laugh and it makes me sad. Um, okay, we are we're ready. We're running up against time. I wanted to ask you one more thing, 
and I want us to disagree about this because I think that we do. Team gonna... Jason Quick. There you go. Oh, God. I'll, I got a T-shirt on order. Oh, my Lord. We're going to make this really quick. Um, uh, no pun intended. Uh, our most argumentative segment yet, and yeah. we're going to make it quick. We're All right, good it, luck. We're going to make it quick. So here, here's the rundown. There's a, um, a Jason Quick versus Chris Haynes thing going on. Jason... Which it's not that. That's a horrible summation of it, but sure, go ahead. I'm making it that because it makes for good radio, God. Ryan. Artificial beef. Gosh, you that's are. Right. Inter- yeah, you that's are right. Yeah, you are an internet is, troll. Uh, this is definitely tofu that's made to look like beef. Uh, Jason Quick is a longtime reporter uh, who covers the Blazers, currently a beat reporter at The Athletic. Chris Haynes is a former Blazers beat reporter, now a national NBA reporter with Yahoo News. Mm-hmm. Jason Quick came out with an article maybe a week or so ago that criticized Terry Stotts and his coaching. Um, basically, I think that the title was something like Terry Stotts and the hot seat in Portland. Quick Correct. made it pretty clear that he believes that Terry Stotts is going to be fired. He actually even said in a subsequent athletic chat that he pegs Terry Stotts' chances of being fired at like 96 to 98%. As does everybody else throughout the league. So As does everybody else throughout the league. There. But the point is that, so Jason Quick in his reporting has been saying that a lot of the Blazers' woes this season have been because of the coaching. Mm-hmm. Chris Haynes then came out with an article, which understand or not understandably, but, but to be fair, was pretty full of platitudes, right? Like not a ton of substance in it. But basically what it said is Damian Lillard, is he doing this by himself? And does he really have the right roster to contend? So that's where the, the, the beef is like you have one reporter saying the Blazers are here because of Terry Stotts. The other reporter is maybe suggesting they're here because of Neil Olshay. Um, then... I, I, I just want to make this totally transparent. Again, I'm on Twitter a lot. When Jason Quick then quote tweeted Chris Haynes, Jason Quick essentially defended Olshay and was like, oh, like you don't think CJ's a star, right? So to me and to a lot of other people, that was taken as here comes Jason Quick now defending Neil Olshay from this article from Chris Haynes that might be criticizing him a little bit. And the other dynamic to this, too, is that Chris Haynes is very close with the Blazers. He's probably the most plugged-in reporter on the planet mm-hmm. with the Blazers, particularly with Damian Lillard. So I think that some people thought, oh, maybe Dame had something to do with this, right? Zero way. Okay. So I'm almost done setting this up. It's taken a long time, longer than I thought. Dwight James then asked Damian Lillard in the post game after the Blazers win over the Nets, basically said, what do you think about that article, Dame? And Damian Lillard sort of, he was very careful in his language. That it, on the one hand, you could say that Damian Lillard denied that he had ever talked to Chris Haynes about this article. On the other hand, you could also look at his direct quote and say that Dame is a master communicator and he very, very artfully sidestepped the question and never actually flat out denied it. Um, what Dame said was, quote, I know because of our, of our relationship with Chris Haynes that people would assume I was tied to the story. That was the only thing that bothered me about it. So, and the very last thing is that I decided to jump in and I basically said when Jason Quick kind of quote tweeted Chris Haynes, I said, if you have any question whose water Jason Quick is carrying, this should give you the answer with the implication being that Jason Quick is essentially... Uh, he's repeating information coming from Neil Olshay. I then followed up and basically said, look, I think that relationships are really important in reporting. Mm -hmm. I've said Jason Quick's the most talented Blazers writer on the beat. I think that's true. And I also think that Neil Olshay is an important source for him. And so it makes sense if Jason Quick were to report things and write things that would not criticize Olshay, would instead criticize Terry Stotts. 
and here comes Jason Quick defending Olshay. That's mm-hmm. a lot of me talking, Ryan. What do you think about all that? There's a big beef going on here, and we need to get to the bottom of this. So what do you think uh, about this? You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. You and you're son wrong. of a gun. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. For for one, uh, in regards to this story from Chris Haynes and then uh, watching Damian Lillard's interview about that, if, you th- if anybody out there thinks that this is one of those moments of Damian Lillard bitching to Chris Haynes about how he feels about how Neil O'Shea is doing things, that is not the case. And there's a big... His, there's a big part of history that you can go back and look at. Any of Chris Haynes's articles, if you want to go back to that, uh, the Oklahoma City series or whatnot, when Haynes is basically covering that series from Portland while staying in Damian Lillard's house, you know when he's getting direct quotes. This story is this story that Haynes told. Three thousand percent zero way you can convince me that it did not come from Dame's agent Aaron Goodwin. This is a puff piece put out by an agent, and if with Haynes's relationship with Dame, you better believe that he has a great relationship with Aaron Goodwin. And this sounds like an agent attempting to deflect from his uh, any sort of blame or negativity from his client because the the thought. Hmm. bubble and the thought premise in Portland is that Dame is so invested in the franchise and as the superstar we assume he's the LeBron James type and that all moves are made through him Dame has for a very long time said I'm consulted but there is no way that I want the responsibility of making the decisions on is that guy fired is that guy getting moved is that guy's family getting relocated let me, let me so, so, that, you got your rant I get my rant we're going skip Bayless well, can, and it, can, I, can I sound off on something you said though and then let sure. you keep going um, really quick, don't you think, though, to your point, I, I like your point about, like, this is maybe more Haynes talking to Dame's agent, but Dame has a relationship with Haynes. Dame obviously mm-hmm. has a relationship with his agent. Are you telling me that you don't think that Chris Haynes knows, wow, Dame is, like, my most important source maybe in the entire league because I'm so there close was, to them? Th- there was nothing of substance in that story. If anything, Haynes... So you don't think prob- Haynes, like, uh, just checked uh, in with uh, him a little bit? Probably would have shot him a text and be like, hey, bro, just talk... Or, uh, I'm just putting together a story. I just talked to... I just, you know, talked to Aaron um, just a little bit about, like, struggles that we all know you've been going through this season. Just just giving you the heads up. And Dame probably getting a text and be like, oh, okay, cool. Because he knows he didn't give him any sort of inflammatory, inflammatory text. My biggest thing with that article is I read the thing, like, five fucking times. There's zero substance to it. It is all just talk and it sounds it's sound it's a puff piece from an agent that that is all it is so i'm i guarantee you that there wasn't like a long sit down conversation no i don't think that between dame and chris it that is literally like a three text message thing of like hey bro just putting together and he gives him like quick summary and and we as blazer fans who anytime especially when the knicks are apparently sniffing at the heels of damian lillard anytime we hear anything about you know dame being unhappy with the organization i mean shit just think back a couple years ago when paul allen was alive how much did we blow it out of proportion that damian lillard and paul allen got had lunch together we thought the fucking sky was falling then so we here in portland we over exaggerate that piece was a big nothing burger wait now hold on on the jason quick thing now Jason Quick and Neil O'Shea cannot stand each other. Neil O'Shea is, I don't think the, that matters, is, is the singular reason that Jason Quick 
does not work at NBC Sports Northwest anymore because he did not buy in and tow the company line and kiss ass. No different than when, you know, freaking Which Rop is what got, makes this uh, so surprising to me. No no different than when Isaac Rop got fired from Talking Ball. If you don't tow the company line, if you don't give us all the puff pieces in the world, you're out. They do not get along. Now, Jason Quick, I feel as though has been fair and balanced in his reporting, but you also have to understand his reporting style. He does a lot more interpersonal, sit-down relationship. I'm going to tell you who this human being is. I mean, he just had that fantastic piece about Norman Powell that came out a couple weeks ago. If anybody that hasn't read incredible. that, get the athletic subscription. If you want to figure out who Norman is as a human being, that is fantastic. But that's the type of reporting that he does. His And he had maybe one or two quotes from Neil O'Shea in there that probably could have been cut from the article. Uh, he, he doesn't need that relationship with Neil to maintain access to the players. Wait he, a minute. There, so, is, there is no reason that that Quick needs to be kissing Olshay's ass. But here's the I thing. think that that is just his opinion. And I'm not going to lie. I have the exact same opinion as Quick does in all of this. That I think that part is fair. But let me... Okay. I, I'm sorry to circle back to this a second time, but just this whole thing quickly about Dame, his <laughs> agent, and Haynes. I yeah. want to hedge you, and I want to make sure that what you're saying is you think that Haynes wasn't clear with Dame about how that story was going to be slanted. And the reason why I'm asking you this is that no national reporter, or even, even someone who's not a national reporter, everybody <coughs> knows how that story was going to be interpreted, whether it was a puff piece or not. Everybody mm -hmm. knows people were going to take that as, oh, Dame's not getting enough help. That's the front office's fault. Mm -hmm. I guess I, I won't ask you. I'm just, I'm suggesting that, Haynes wouldn't have run that without letting Dame know that specific angle of it. So if, if, what two, if two people in Dame's inner circle, his agent and Chris Haynes, two people that he trusts hands down, have never burned him, have always treated him well, if those two people both reach out to Dame. If Goodwin saying, hey, I chatted with Chris about, you know, some of the struggles going on this season, just, you know, just a short little piece, nothing big. It's not like an in-depth analysis. And Dame basically gets the same text from Chris saying, hey, I chatted with your agent. We just, you know, just a little bit of gabbing back and forth. Here's that from two people he trusts. No, I don't think that he's going to inquire more as to what the story was. Okay. And I think you could see that in his face as he was talking around being pissed about how the story is now being taken. I guarantee you that there was a group chat. After after that came out between those two going, hey, motherfuckers, next time you want to <laughs> attempt to light part of my world on fire, maybe give me more than a three line text here. OK, you have shifted my thinking because I hadn't considered this angle. So thank you for doing that. You're um, welcome. So uh, I'm not saying I fully changed my opinion, but it definitely I, I hadn't thought about that. And I, I think you make a really good point. Now, let's go back to Jason quick. It, I, <laughs> I agree with you that, you know. Jason Quick not being at NBC Sports Northwest, where, by the way, I have on very good authority one of the third rails. If you work there, you are strongly, strongly discouraged from ever criticizing Olshay. You are literally not allowed to suggest that he should be fired. You're not allowed Somebody to do it. Somebody's going to need to explain to me uh, Chad Doing's continued employment then, but that is also what I've heard as well. Who knows? But <laughs> what I'm suggesting is despite that, if you look at the work that Jason Quick has done over the last couple of weeks, and again, like you said, that Norman Powell piece, 
incredible maybe the best mm -hmm. piece i've written in many or read in many years he is well, the he's best. also says it's one of his best pieces he's ever written that it was one of the more emotional pieces he had and, over 12 hours of interviews he had to go through for that and yet as much as he talked about agonizing on how to edit that he did decide to put in an entire section about how much Neil Olshay is really working to keep Norman Powell here and getting his dog a dog bed and dog toys and his new house that they bought for him. <laughs> that was an intentional decision that he made. It was also intentional that he wrote a story about Terry Stotts' faults. It's also very obvious when you look at his reporting and tweeting that Jason Quick is not... Uh, either willing or, or or doesn't feel the need to criticize Olshay and his entire tenure in the same way as he is Terry Stotts, at least not right now. So I guess what I'm suggesting is I'm looking at this most recent body of mm -hmm. work, which all, to me, points in the same direction. I don't know why maybe things have changed. Maybe he feels like that relationship is, is now more important to him. I, I think I would suggest that Olshay doesn't have a ton of people looped with him. Who's the number one person if we think about national reporting? And Woj. We exactly. And who else, right? Like kind of nobody else. Like it's nope. Woj. And no, well, so locally, Dwight James has historically been Olshay's mouthpiece. Fair enough. Okay. So I, I guess what I'm suggesting is that despite what history may have shown up to this point, it seems pretty clear to me that Jason Quick is being careful about criticizing Olshay. Now, here's what I'll say. If Jason Quick doesn't have, by the way, doesn't have to do anything. And, and I want to represent Jason responded to me on Twitter and basically said, am I not allowed to have an opinion? Yes, he is. And also, by the way, you know, for anyone listening, is every human. my opinion on this could be wrong. I am not informed. I don't talk to Jason quick. I don't talk to Dame. I don't talk to Olshay. So I'm sitting here on my couch speculating and I could be completely wrong. I've been wrong about a lot of stuff. Okay, fine. So that's, that's fair. Getting that out of the way. If Jason Quick reports or tweets something about Olshay's tenure that suggests that, you know, maybe the reason why the Blazers flamed out in the first rounding and if that's what happens is because of the roster construction, I will take this back. But from what I've seen in the last couple months, he, he, it just seems like he's not willing to criticize I, Olshay when there is at least part of the blame lies with the front office. I think he's choosing his battles. Right now, this is the year of Terry Stotts. Uh, Terry Stotts is notorious for having an adversarial relationship with the media, especially local media. I mean, we all remember when Quick tried to ask him about the obvious funk that the Blazers were in, and Stotts just, we're not in a funk. Yeah, dude, you were in a fucking funk. Stotts is not a good yeah. media person. We this, know is the, this is the year of Terry Stotts, and with the Blazers' outlook going forward, we all <laughs> We all expect that Stotts is not... Is that what not, the, the, we, um, the, the horoscopic calendar, what do you call it? The yes, astrological it's, calendar? It's, so the, it's year the, the year of the Stotts. The year of the Stotts. If Stotts <laughs> isn't here next year and a new coach comes in, that blame is shifting solely from that head coaching seat up the ladder to Neil O'Shea. Ooh, I have a theory. So the, the fun part is going to be, if you are correct and... Jason Quick is slowly becoming a mouthpiece or a a permanent defender of Neil O'Shea. Watch his coverage of him next year. Because if his coverage of him next year is not slanted, but the team's performance does not improve with a new coach, or in this offseason, O'Shea decides to just basically, for lack of a better term, run it back the best he can without making any sort of upgrades, then all of the fault needs to shift to O'Shea and his roster construction. But yeah. 
that, that's fair. What's your theory? And then we'll get out of here on this. Uh, but we may have a little teaser for something coming up later in the week. My theory is this. The blame will either shift to Olshay, which is where you think it would be shifting. Mm-hmm. I suspect some Blazers fans, they're going to blame Damian Lillard, the team's best player, franchise player. I, I, I think I there's going to be a segment of fans who will point the finger at Dame. I'm just telling you. Like, I think that's going to happen. Not everybody, again, some of them. An, an organization as a whole needs some blame. I will agree that there will probably be some that needs to be heaped on Damian Lillard and all of this. But then again, his because with his loyalty, he would like freaking uh, Tim Frazier and Ed Davis to still be a part of this team. Um, yeah. But if you, if anybody wants to solely blame Damian Lillard, uh, hey, I Ed, mean, Ed there's Davis. a part there's a parking lot outside. I'll be more than willing to throw down with him. Having a defensive big like Ed Davis would be pretty tasty right now, frankly. Um, okay, so that's it for that section. Uh, give us what you're gonna tease. All right, so we are both uh, the lowly Android users of the world, but luckily, <laughs> an app that is starting to gain prominence is is Locker Room, and uh, you had to walk me through on Twitter on how to actually download it, so uh, me as uh, the great-grandfather, thanks you, young son, for teaching me technology. You're younger than me! <laughs> This is this is true, and it pains me anytime I have to have my kids show me how to do things. But yes, uh, no, I just didn't realize that you couldn't find it on the actual Google Play Store. But uh, we oh, yeah, now both we now have both the the locker room app downloaded. So we were uh, possibly considering maybe sometime later in the week hopping on and doing a little post game show. So if anybody wants to yell at us in person, well, yeah. quote unquote in person instead of on Twitter. We are opening the door for you to do such a thing. I think that'd be great. Locker Room is essentially an app where you can have a show where people can very easily listen and also call in. There's a little button that says speaker request. So as the host, you'd be like, oh, I'm going to let this person talk, right? It's basically like imagine like a drive time radio show where it's very easy to both be listening and call in and participate. That's how I joined uh, the Locked On Blazers podcast with Mike Richmond, um, and it worked out. It was super mm-hmm. fun. And I agree. And like you said, if anyone needs help doing that on Android, let me know. I can help you out because you're right. It's not on the Google Play store yeah i think that is it for today do you have well, anything else one more thing uh it's a topic that we touched on earlier when we were talking about the blazers current uh defensive rating but i just want to uh, give credit to that uh the one person who actually did follow through on our twitter uh, oh thank you our, yes. our twitter call out uh nft at nft driven was asking can the blazers play dame cj and Powell at the same time all signs are showing that the blazers are going to try their best in keeping Powell. Powell will likely land a 22 million dollar a year deal that's something that we're going to touch on a lot more in next week's episode because I personally think it's a very fine needle to thread on if you're going to keep Norman Powell and how you go about doing it without screwing it over. But we did talk about it. It is showing out that, yes, you can. Their net rating has improved. Their defense has improved. Part of that is Nurk. A big part of that is Powell. Yep. Uh, uh, my short answer, Let's. I do want to talk more about that uh, in a different episode. Yes, and like you said, it depends on who the other two players are playing with them. Yes, you can. Um, yeah. And that's encouraging to see. Uh, so with that, we're out of here. Ryan, you did a great job as your first time Adios. as host. I appreciate that you and I got to argue. If you want to hear us argue more, check us out at welikeTheBlazers.com at just like the Blazers on Twitter. Send us a review. Rating subscription doesn't matter. We appreciate all of you. Until next time, I'm Brandon. That over there is, who are you again? Uh, I am Ryan Whitty Whitledge. How can people connect with you on Twitter really quick? You can get me uh, at Golden or PDX for me. 
Yeah, uh, for me, it's at the witty Ryan, which actually, because of this, I guess I actually have to now start using my personal Twitter more. I've always just, <laughs> I, 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 I have the full Kevin or Kevin Durant thing of I've, I basically have a burner sports account. So now I have to actually carry this as a sports account. But yes, at the witty Ryan. And by the way, if anybody wants to help me prop up, I don't know, some somehow maybe get me to like 500 Twitter follows sometime in oh. the next month. Uh, Gold, Goldner has a couple top shots. He might be willing to uh, shed out there. I was actually going to say, let's let's actually do that. We will be doing a top shot moment giveaway. I just gave my first one away um, a little bit ago. The gifting does work. Maybe we'll talk more about top shots another time. But until then, I'm Brandon. That's Ryan. We like the Blazers. Appreciate you all. And peace out. Peace out. And stop. Woo, holy shit, sorry. Um <laughs>